Well, good morning, everybody. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. Are you guys ready? Got the groceries, ready to cook, ready to eat, ready to rest. I hope you enjoy the week. Uh, it's the holiday season. We got a lot of exciting things happening here at Open Door. Uh, please keep coming both on our Sunday services. When we finish up Hebrews, we'll begin to uh, celebrate the Christmas season. We've got an Advent series coming up. Uh, some other exciting things happening that uh, we'll let you know. Uh, tonight, by the way, we're having a members meeting, an important members meeting. We'll be talking about our ministry plan for next year. And members, make sure you look through our annual report. Our team's done a great job giving us the highlights of this past year, celebrating all that God's done, and, and also as we look forward to next year. So make sure you get this. If you're visiting, feel free to grab one of these as well. It'll let you uh, give you a little insight on all the good things God's doing here at Open Door Church. All right, Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. It's now cold enough for me to get into my garden and prune all of my berry uh, branches and grapevines and prune my fruit trees. And, uh, and, and then I go through this process every year where I figure out what doesn't belong and I just cut it off so that next year I'll have fewer branches, but they'll be much stronger and they'll be much more productive. And that's how pruning works. We, we, we prune in order to be more productive. And it, Jesus gave us this analogy as he was talking about anyone who belongs to him, that he's the vine and, and we're the branches. And as long as we abide in him, then we will bear fruit. But then he says this, but the father will see your good fruit and prune you so that you can bear even more good fruit. So the pruning is absolutely necessary in order for you to be productive for his kingdom. All right, so now, easy question is, how many of you want to be more productive for God in his kingdom? Raise your hand. I want to be more productive. Okay, the harder question is, I want God to prune me so I can be more productive. Yeah, not as many hands raised. So how is it that we have to get to the place where we want God to discipline us? And discipline sounds like a negative word. Pruning sounds painful. Guess what? Pruning is painful. It's supposed to be. Discipline is difficult. It's supposed to be. But we have to get to the place where we actually are desiring it so that God will grow us up in the faith and make us more productive for the kingdom. And so the passage today is going to talk about the necessity for God to discipline you. And, and I, I need for you to try the best you can to be happy when God disciplines you. When I mean discipline, I mean it's a painful experience. That God would put that type of experience in your path in order to teach you what it means to be productive for his kingdom and persevere in the faith. Now, let me read from Hebrews 12, beginning at verse three, and I'm gonna read down through verse six, and then I'm going to pray for our help today. These are challenging verses, so I'm gonna pray that God would help us to hear them and to obey them. For consider him, speaking of Jesus, 
who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. In struggling against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? And again, I'll read what our scripture reading was this morning. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Father, if it were not for Jesus who received your discipline, your chastisement on the cross, if it were not for the fact that you actually punished your son because of our sin on the cross, we would really struggle hearing these words. But because of Christ, who is our example, Father, may you give us the faith to say yes when you want to prune us and yes when you choose to discipline us. And help us understand in this race that we're running that you're always working out for our good and for your glory and for the glory of your son through his church. Now give us ears to hear, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. All right, so I gotta talk about God at times causing pain in your life. I gotta talk about God making your life difficult for a very important purpose. Because what the, what the scriptures are clear about is that God loves us, he loves us like a father, and loving fathers discipline their children. So the father, our loving father uses discipline to produce perseverance and eventually to make us to share in the holiness that he has. And we see this father's discipline and how it flows from his love uh, here, beginning in, in Hebrews 12, verse three, as he says, let's consider Christ and then let's consider our own circumstance. For consider him, speaking of Jesus, who endured hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. The book of Hebrews is all about Jesus being a superior high priest who made a superior sacrifice, the sacrifice of his own body, his own shed blood. And because of that, he becomes this substitute that we need that gives us direct access to God forever. And what he endured on the cross then allows us to endure as well. And so the book of Hebrews talks about this race that we're running and that Christ has already completed the race and now he is there waiting for us to finish the race along with this whole multitude of witnesses who have run by faith and they've completed their race and they're just waiting for us to finish the race. But now imagine if you would, here's Christ, our champion, and what he endured on the cross, the hostility that he endured for your sake he took your sin upon himself. He suffered on your behalf. And, and then think about the multitude of witnesses who also lived by faith and all that they endured. Many that we know who gave their lives for the sake of the gospel. Many that we will never know until we get to heaven who've been imprisoned and have been beaten and have been punished and have bled and have died for their faith. And now, 
they finished their race too. And they're just saying to us, hey, just endure. You can do this. You can finish the race as well. And so now in verse four, the author of Hebrews is saying this because in the church, there were some who were experiencing persecution. And just to be honest, they were getting ready to give up. They were just saying, I think I'm done with this. I don't want the pain. I don't want the persecution. I just don't know if I want to continue. And the author of Hebrews is saying, no, you've got to continue. You must continue. You've got to persevere until the end. And there were even some in the church who said, I'm out. And they left. Some who were of a Jewish descent went back to Judaism, to which the author of Hebrews says, why would you go back? Why would you go back to something that cannot provide your eternal security, something that cannot promise your forever forgiveness? Why would you give up on Jesus, who is our superior high priest? And, and so this encouragement to persevere and endure comes to us with this very pointed question in verse four, and it's simply this. Have you shed blood yet? for your faith, and yet you're thinking about quitting? You're thinking about giving up? Look what he says. In your struggle against sin, have you not yet resisted to the point of shedding your bloods? When so many have suffered and died already, leaving us examples. When so much blood has been shed for the sake of the gospel, and yet they never stop believing. Are you ready to give up? Have you been imprisoned? Have you been beaten? Have you been forsaken? Have you been asked to die for your faith? No. Well, then why are you wanting to quit? Why are you willing to give up? And that's why the author of Hebrews then and then, then says, look at these examples, look at these witnesses, and remember what the scriptures teach. And he just simply quotes from Proverbs 3. You have to understand that there, there's a reason why God puts difficulties in your life. So yes, let's blame the difficulties upon a sovereign God who loves us and who wants for us to endure difficulties to learn what it means to persevere by his grace. And there's a reason why God does this. He says, it's like you have forgotten what the Bible has taught us for thousands of years, verse 5. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly. There are divine purposes for your difficulties. Don't act like God's not involved. Don't lose heart when you're reproved by God. What does that mean? We, that means when God wants to discipline you and when God wants to introduce some difficulties in your life because he wants to produce maturity in you, don't think lightly of that. Here's the reason, verse 6. Like a good father, the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Are you reading that right? God would punish you. Yes. Yes, he would. 
well, wait a minute, I never thought that God would punish me. Well, isn't that what it just says? Why would God do that? Well, for the very same reason that you would discipline your child when your child needs punishment. He does it because he loves you and he does it because he wants you to mature. He does it because he wants to see the production of perseverance in your life so that you can even bear more fruit for his kingdom. He does not want you to remain as a child, weak and immature. He doesn't want you just to be left out there so that the one who doesn't love you, who roams this earth like a roaring lion seeking those whom he may devour, he doesn't want you to be devoured by that person who doesn't love you. He wants you to grow up and mature in the faith so that you can withstand the arrows of the evil one, the attacks from our enemy, and learn what it means to be productive for his kingdom. So we've got to keep a proper perspective on what it means to endure. But we're never going to get to the place where God is cruel. God doesn't discipline you to discourage you. Well, he disciplines you to develop you. God may cause pain in your life, but he's causing it for your perseverance. All of this is simply an act of God's determined love. And I like that because our God is a determined God. He actually knows what's best for you. He knows exactly what you need in order to prune away that which doesn't belong, that you might become more productive for his kingdom. Now, this is the God of the Bible. I, I'm not sure what God you brought into church today. Maybe I'm not quite sure who your God is. Well, this is my God. And my God will punish me because he loves me and he wants me to grow up. He wants to discipline me because I'm his child. The father's discipline is always, you see, to the advantage of his children. Look at verse seven and eight with me. Endure suffering as discipline. All right, so there's just a blanket statement that we need to decide, do I believe this or not? Endure suffering as discipline. When, when, when we suffer, it's because we're called to do it that we might develop something. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? Any good father will discipline his children. That's what good fathers do. They do it because they love them. If a father doesn't discipline a child, the child probably doesn't belong to that good father, which is what verse eight says. If you're without discipline, which all good fathers give to their children and all children receive from their fathers, then you're, an Ill you're illegitimate children and, and not sons, which answers a lot of questions, you see. It just answers a lot of questions. You, 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 you hear these people say, I, I can't believe you, you, you believe in a God. There's so many bad people who do so many bad things. Where's God in that? Well, they're not his children. They're not his children. Now look, you, if you make it to the end of time with me and you're standing on the right side of eternity with me, you're gonna see God deal with all of the evil 
and all of the wickedness. That day will come. But on this day, God cares about his children. He doesn't discipline those that don't belong to him, even if they claim to be his children. What does that mean? That means that godly discipline is a mark of your Christianity. If it's not happening, how do you know you're in? Well, I thought the Christian life was supposed to be a prosperous life and a, and a good life and an easy life. That's not what the Bible says, friends. The Bible says that we are to endure a difficult life. The path is narrow, but the reward is worth it. Amen? If you're without discipline, that's actually a, a bad thing. Parents love their children, therefore they discipline their children. But as, as a parent, I, I was not about to discipline someone else's children. Look, I had enough discipline going on with my four. They gave me all the ministry of discipline that I needed growing up. There was a never-ending opportunity for me to discipline my kids, praise God. I didn't need to discipline other kids. They didn't belong to me. Furthermore, verse 9. Now, what's interesting here, I think this is important, is the author of Hebrews is going to use an analogy. He's going to go from the greater to the lesser. The greater is God the Father and you and I who belong to him as children. The lesser is an earthly father and his responsibility then to his earthly children. This is the greater, this is eternal. In an earthly sense, as parents, all right, we have a temporary responsibility to discipline our children, all right? So now it shifts from what God does to what earthly parents do in verse nine. Furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Now, at the time, you may not respect your parents or your father when he's spanking you or chastising you when he's disciplining you. At the time, there may not be, but you later learn the fact that he did it out of love. Maybe not perfectly, but he did it out of love. And now, adults, speak to me. Do you look back at the discipline you received from your parents as being helpful and instructive? Say amen. And do you still respect your parents even though they disciplined you? Say amen. Well, that's exactly what the Bible says. That makes discipline a good thing because it was wrought in your life to make you mature, to help you weed out the bad and the foolishness out of your heart. And so we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. All right, that's the lesser. Now the analogy goes to the greater. Shouldn't we submit even more to the Father of spirits and live? What does that mean? It means God wants you to live forever. Therefore, allow him to discipline you. He's rotting out eternal life in you. Let it happen. He's pruning you that you can be productive for his kingdom. Let it happen. Shouldn't we submit to that? And in verse 10, let's go back to uh, the lesser. For they, earthly parents, disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them. But he, the greater, God the Father, he does it for our benefit so that, this. please don't miss this, so that we can share in his holiness. What does that mean? 
That means right now, you've got unholiness that God needs to discipline out of you. And he needs to prune out the unholiness in order for you to share in his holiness. Now, look, if there's no unholiness in you, forget this. Go get some coffee and wait till the end of the sermon. If, you're, if there's still unholiness in you, listen to me. God wants to work that out of you, but it can be a painful process. He wants to work the unholiness out of you. And sometimes that means he has to discipline you. Now, the analogy of the earthly parent is, okay, yes, we're not perfect parents. No one is. We're doing our best, even when it comes to disciplining our kids. And, and there's, always, there's always extremes, all right? So let's just make sure that you don't walk away thinking I'm advocating beating your child. All right, uh, I am advocating you discipline your child. And, 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 and to, unfortunately, to some, when they hear the word discipline, um, things were done to them that were very harsh and ungodly and unloving and abusive, all right? And that happens all too often. And, and we are, and God is always against that. God is not advocating abuse. God is also not advocating neglect. Because on the other extreme is the parent who neglects to discipline their children and their children end up just as bad. Because there's never an opportunity to get the foolishness out of their heart and then they grow up fools. And they just simply act out foolishness. And just look around. And this is the culture in which we live in today. We're just simply a nation of fools because foolishness was never wrought out of the hearts of the people in this country. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating, neither the Bible's advocating either of these extremes. What are we talking about? Loving discipline. In the lesser, yes, we don't do it perfectly. That's exactly what the Bible says, but we still do it. We do it the best that we see fit, but we are simply forming the illustration of what God is doing perfectly in you. And if God wants to discipline you or cause pain in your life, you have to understand he's working out his perfect plan for you. Good dad's discipline. And yes, spankings are supposed to sting. And yes, discipline in the moment is not a pleasant experience. It's supposed to be painful, but it's also purposeful and it will eventually allow this child to understand what righteousness is. And when God does this, it is to produce righteousness that we might someday in heaven share in his holiness. And so we have to say, God, it's good. It's good when you prune me. You're a good father and your discipline is good when it comes to me. All right, now let's be honest. When God causes you to endure discipline, when there are painful experiences that God places in your path, what is your natural reaction? Well, for some, the natural reaction is, uh-uh, no. This can't be coming from God. 
Well, who's to blame then? It ain't me. Who's the, who, am I, who's, who am I to blame? I got to blame somebody. Well, maybe I blame the church. Uh, church is always an easy target. Church is full of sinners. Ain't nobody perfect in the church. Okay, I'll blame the church. Man, no, me and God are good. It's the church that's bad. No, me and God are good. It's these Christians who are bad. No, I'm looking for someone to blame. Or you just get angry. You're like, wait a minute, God. What's the deal? I thought we had a thing here. And all these difficult things are happening in my life. So what? It? You got a problem with me? Maybe you get angry at God. Or maybe you give up. Maybe you just say I'm out. Listen. So as a dad, it's always really difficult to watch your kids fail. It's, it's, it's hard to watch your kids fail. But it is far worse to watch your kids quit. And in my home, I made it abundantly clear. You can fail, but you cannot quit. We don't quit. And I was trying to teach my kids a spiritual lesson because look, God knows you're going to fail. I failed them this week. You failed them this week, right? God knows you're going to fail. He has grace for that. Christ has died for that. But God does not want you to quit. That's what would displease the heart of God for you to give up. That's why we have this entire letter in the Bible. The entire letter of Hebrews is simply for you to not give up, not to quit, keep running the race. But the race is hard. Yes, it's supposed to be. Don't give up. Yeah, but I keep failing. Right. That's why you have a superior high priest in Jesus. He knows that. I don't know how much more I can do. Well, have you shed blood yet? You can do more. Well, I just want to quit. Well, now that's the thing that displeases God the most. Now you've really hurt the heart of God. We don't quit. We don't do it. God has put everything in place for you to run this difficult race. Run it. And yes, at times it's painful. Now let me, let me give you a quote from A.W. Tozer. If you don't know Tozer, um, you need to read uh, Tozer's works. So he cuts it pretty straight. And um, one of his lesser known books is called The Root of Righteousness. And he makes a statement. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna put up on the screen I, I don't want you to just jump out agreeing with it. As a matter of fact, it's okay if initially you react against it, but I need you to chew on this statement. Here's what Tozer says. It is doubtful if God can bless a man greatly without hurting him deeply. Now chew on that. Is Tozer right? It is doubtful if God can bless a man greatly without hurting him deeply. And my friends, he's right because 
I can't bless you in the state you're in presently. If you were already holy and righteous, you wouldn't need to. But the fact that God wants you to experience a greater extent of righteousness and holiness, he's got to prune you. Let me, let me read the full quote from Tozer. Right? Just keep, keep that statement on mind, right? It's doubtful, if God, it's doubtful if God can bless a man greatly without hurting him deeply. Then he goes on to say this. God actually rises up storms of conflict in your life, often relationships, in order to accomplish a deeper work in your character. Why? Because you simply can't love others, especially your enemies, on your own strength. Now, this is what Tozer says. This is a deeper grace. This is a graduate-level grace. Are you willing to enter into God's school? Are you willing to take God's tests? Now, if you pass, you can expect to be elevated to a newer, higher level in God's kingdom, for he brings us through these tests as preparation for greater use in the kingdom. But first, you got to pass the test. It's like Job. Everything was taken in a moment. He passed the test initially until he got some really bad advice from some friends. Are you willing to pass the test that you might experience a deeper level of grace? I hope so. I hope so. You see, the author of Hebrews just cannot imagine a scenario where a loving parent would not discipline his child. To spare discipline is to spoil the child and to keep the heart of the child foolish. And I, all right, so parenting. We're going to have baby dedication. Had one in the first service. It is absolutely necessary, parents, that your children see Christ in you. And yes, Christ prunes his children, which means it is absolutely necessary that you take on your God-given role to be the authority of your children. It would be the most foolish of actions that you allow your child to be the center of your home and that you would allow your child to dictate what goes on in your home. And yet it happens all the time. Child-centered parenting has wrought more damage than we can talk about in this moment. Parents abandon their roles and succumb to the whims and the impulses of their immature children. And even when their children disobey, all they do is give fake warnings never intended to back them up. And when a child acts foolish, rather than seeing the foolishness as that which will eventually destroy their children, they simply try to reason with foolishness. And parenting eventually becomes this disastrous affair of the blind leading the blind. And in no way does this imitate God. God is your authority, and he will act as a loving father to you, even when that demands that you need to be disciplined by him. And parenting is, is simply our opportunity 
to imitate God. God's not going to coddle you. He loves you too much. Parents, you don't coddle your children. I want you to love them too much than simply to coddle them. I want you desire for them to be godly. Remember, Jesus endured hostility from stubborn sinners. You can endure the hostility from your stubborn child. You can. Jesus endured your sinful hostility. You can endure it with your children. You can love them enough not to coddle them, but to discipline them when needed. Let me give you another analogy. So Christ comes to us as a good shepherd. In ancient days, the shepherd was responsible to care for a flock of foolish and unruly sheep. That's what sheep are. They're foolish and they're unruly. They just tend not to pay attention. They all tend to go their own way. It, it's difficult for them to learn. And yet it's the shepherd's responsibility to lovingly care for them. And what the shepherd would do is the shepherd would have two instruments at his disposal in order to lovingly care for the sheep. One was a rod and the other was a staff. Now the rod was just a, a wooden, a blunt wooden stick that the shepherd would use to protect and to train the sheep. And if the sheep kept going away from the flock and going away from the shepherd's leading, then the shepherd would take the rod and implement pain on the back or the backside of the sheep. And the sheep eventually would learn that, you know what, when I start going this way, it's painful. I'm not going to do that anymore. Simple. It works. Now, at times, the rod was necessary if a ferocious animal started approaching the sheep, wanting to devour it. The shepherd would get in the way with the rod and say, you got to get through me and this stick if you're going to try to attack my sheep. Protection, guidance training. A good shepherd would get to the point where, especially with some unruly sheep, that, that the shepherd could simply walk alongside that sheep and take the rod and simply lay it on the sheep's back. Not hit the sheep, just lay it on the sheep's back and that sheep would go, uh-oh, straighten up. Rod. The shepherd also had a staff. And the staff usually was a longer pole with a crook because sometimes the sheep would finally get away and, and they needed to be caught and drugged back or fall into the ravine and they needed to be pulled out or they just got stuck and they needed to be help, help, care, bring them back, discipline, correction, protection, rod and staff, rod and staff. These are the implements of a good shepherd. So, so now when, when you see these verses, these ancient verses in Proverbs, parents, that, that tell you not to forsake the rod, you need to listen if you want to be a good shepherd of your child's hearts. Proverbs 13, the one who will not use the rod hates his son, but the one who loves him disciplines him diligently. Proverbs 22:15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of a youth, a rod of discipline will separate it from him. Proverbs 23, 13, and 14. Don't withhold discipline from a youth. If you punish him with the rod, he will not die. 
punish him with a rod, and rather you'll rescue him from hell. Now, because of that, Jesus comes to us as a good shepherd, and he approaches you lovingly with both rod and staff. And if you need correction, my friends, he loves you enough to correct you with his rod. If you need help and rescue, he loves you enough to rescue with his staff. And King David wrote about this. Do you remember? Do you remember when King David was, was struggling with God's discipline in his life? He was struggling because his journey was so painful and he felt like as if he was just continually walking through the valley, the shadow of death. And so he writes this song and he says, when I'm there, when I'm there, I'm walking through this valley and it's painful and it's hard. He said, you're with me. Your rod and your staff they comfort me. They restore my soul. This is how Jesus, our good shepherd, this is how he leads and guides us, and this is how we then must do the same for our children. I, I don't have time to give a, a testimony of, of some of my zealous sinning when I was an adolescent not wanting God's discipline at all in my life, too foolish to know that I needed it. And I didn't, I didn't understand the, the benefits of pursuing Christ or pursuing holiness. And, and God had to lovingly cause pain in my life to both use the rod and the staff to bring me back. God's discipline is necessary because we're unholy. It would not be necessary if we were already there. And so it's good. It's good, my friends, because God ultimately wants for you to share in his holiness, to experience the beautiful peace of righteousness. So know that in the end, our good Father's discipline, it just makes us stronger and more productive than we were before. The last two verses, therefore, and just summarizing all of this, strengthen your tired hands and weakened knees. Make your straight paths and make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but healed instead. This is another picture of just God saying, you're on this race, the pathway's rocky, at times you wanna give up, don't give up. Never stop, no matter how tired your hands get, never stop, no matter how shaky your legs get, don't go off path, no matter how rocky the path is. Endure the course, and by the way, make it straight. Because maybe there's someone who is stumbling behind you and you need to grab a hold of them and say, come on, let's run this race together. 
make it straight for someone else. Knowing this, Jesus never stopped running the race for you. And though his hands got tired and his knees were weakened, especially as he hung on the cross, he was making the path straight for you, friends. And he was saying, you can do it. We can run this with perseverance. And we can run to win. Let's pray. Father, I, I've done my best to get my brothers and sisters to agree that your discipline is good. It's hard to say that we want to invite it. But yes, Father, we even invite it if in the end it will build within us the strength and the perseverance that we need to finish the race. So bring it, Father, bring it. May everything that you do, you do for our good and for your glory. And please, Father, make the hope that we might share in your holiness so much greater than simply avoiding pain and discomfort in this life that we would say yes Yes to our good Father's discipline. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.